scripture this morning is from John 3, verse 17 verses. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray. Father, your word is like a seed, our hearts like soil. I don't know the shape of the soil of our hearts, Lord, but I'm asking you to open up the ground, till the soil, make a good place for your seed to be planted this morning. Water it so that it can germinate germinate and grow and bear fruit. Fruit for our lives, for our families, communities, for the whole world. In the name of your Son we pray. Amen. Um, People change their minds in surprising ways. Maybe it's not surprising for you. Um, But you think think that someone's going to change their mind by having... um, a compelling argument. Um, we were, Sandy and I were chatting with some old friends recently, and they were talking about life before children and after children. Um, and there's comparisons to a lot of different situations, even if you've, if you've never had children, you can think of a, a time in your life that you were one kind of a person, and then after this happened, everything changed. And you thought differently. You reasoned differently. 
And it wasn't a book. You know, it, it, it wasn't proof. It was some sort of rupture in your life. Something that wasn't contained in books that gave you new knowledge about the world. In our friend's case, having children, they described as just breaking them. It just, it just broke them. Um, they just, they became different people through a kind of disintegration of, you know, it's like the lack of sleep will do this to anybody, I think. But it's weird that that is such a common experience. And again, it's not just children. It could be a move to a different part of the country, maybe a different country. It could be going to a new school. It could even just be a new friend or a new church. And that's so common, and yet we live in a time where we think that the way to go through the world is fact-gathering and investigation, more knowledge, evidence and proof. <coughs> we sort of take, take this great gift of the scientific method and we extend it to absolutely everything. And so in order to know anything in the world, it's got to be proven and tested and that kind of thing. But none of us actually live that way. I think most of us are like Nicodemus, moving in the night, coming and going in the night. For us, we're seeking to know, we're seeking to understand. We want to weigh our options and we want to make a decision. This is what Nicodemus is all about. He has something that he wants to figure out. Um, but he's got something else going on here. He doesn't just come in the middle of the day and say to Jesus, hey Jesus, who are you? No, he comes by night and he says, we know that blank. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to somebody and, and presented them with the information that, that you're hoping to get from them? I know that you are blank, so who are you? What? That's exactly what Nicodemus does. Life is not lived just through knowledge and fact-finding and fact-gathering. It cannot be. It cannot be because our knowledge is not perfect, nor is it complete. And it cannot be. Nicodemus comes at night, and Nicodemus comes with presenting the facts to Jesus and telling Jesus who he is before Jesus can tell him who he is. The reason Nicodemus is, does this is because he's got a world he needs to keep intact. And it cannot be shattered by Jesus' answer. Something has moved Nicodemus. Something has made him question and wonder what's going on. But he also has a lot at stake, depending on Jesus' answer. And so right from the get-go, Nicodemus is managing the conversation. And this is just what we all do. We don't live by facts alone. We have to manage the information because there's too much at stake in our lives. Jesus says it really plainly later in the passage. He says, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. He's saying, look, it'd be great if we could live in a world where we just saw things and agreed that that's the way it is, but you're not doing that, Nicodemus. We've given you plenty of signs. You're not seeing the signs. The book of John says there were way more things that Jesus did that you don't even need to know about. What? I would love to know about those things. 
Those things sound awesome. I would love all the information possible. Why? Because I think there's not enough. And John's saying, more than enough. More than enough for you to know who Jesus is. Jesus is saying, we've given you plenty of information. That's not what this conversation is about. When we try to live by knowledge alone, this is what happens. We always have something that limits the evidence. And I'm not saying it's even wrong to do this. It's that we actually can't. We can't live by knowledge and information alone. We can't. The reason we can't, there's too much at stake. I'd like to use the word wounded. I think we have certain wounds that are at stake based on the information that we receive. We're more than brains on a stick. You guys, uh, I, I feel like a lot of us are up on like brain science. I don't know, I talk to people and they know a lot about brains, way more than I do. But I, but I, I you know, I've learned like a little bit and I guess any sort of like armchair neurologist, which I think we're all becoming, any armchair neurologist will tell you that um, the brain is inseparable from the function of the rest of the body. Even the brain itself is more than a mere computer. Part of it gathers data, but then there's another part that like interprets all of that data into a whole. And part of the brain is guided by the past, it's guided by emotions, it's, it's, it's guided by how hungry you are, it's guided by the quantity of donuts. I think there's even like an algorithm of like donut <coughs> to clear thinking, you know, ratio. Like my sermons are different depending on the quantity of donuts I consume prior to the sermon. And we could chart that. We, we could. We absolutely could. And so what ends up happening through all this is we end up seeing what we want to see. Or we end up seeing what we've seen in the past. And it's very hard for us to see new things. Some of you have heard of this social science study. Um, I think I may have even mentioned it before. Where. Uh, there's like people playing basketball and some are wearing one color shirt and the other are playing other color shirts. And they say, um, they say, watch this basketball game and you know, pay attention to the white shirts or something like that. And so they're watching and they're like, did you, and then they, and then it ends and they say, did you notice anything weird about that basketball game? They're like, no, nah, it's a normal basketball game. They say, so you didn't see like the huge gorilla walk out in the middle of it and like wave at you and then keep going. They're like, no, you're lying. And then they replay it, and sure enough, in the middle of the game, this guy in a big gorilla suit walks out and just does this. Like, <laughs> not sneaky, not running through, but like wide in the open, and then keeps walking through and nobody sees it. They don't see it, because we see what we want to see. We see what we've seen in the past. <laughs> it's very hard to see something new. I'm not preaching a sermon on worldviews. I just want to be clear. I'm not preaching a sermon on having the right worldview. That is not what I think this is about. What is a worldview? A worldview is the lens through which you see the world. But the idea of a worldview is deeply cynical because it says that we can't see the world directly. We can't just be honest with what we see and we can't take in new information. And so it's deeply postmodern, actually, because it's this idea that you have to pick the right worldview in order to see everything. But everything's going to be colored by your filter. 
That's an extremely cynical view of the world, and I don't think it's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus wants to guide us into seeing new things and seeing the truth. So what does he do? How does he do this with Nicodemus? He does it with Nicodemus the way he does it with us. The first thing he does to Nicodemus is he thoroughly confuses him and disorients him. Nicodemus has no idea what's going on in the first part of this passage. He is deeply confused. Jesus keeps throwing these metaphors at him. Well, you were born, but I want you to like uh, I want you to go ahead and be born again. And we, you know, we we have a phrase, you know, our phrase is that phrase is conditioned by a tradition within Christianity, but when Nicodemus heard it, he was like, "Huh? What? That's not no, no. That's not a thing, Jesus." So so Nicodemus is just completely thrown off kilter by Jesus. And sometimes we just need that. If we're going to see anything new, we have to go to a place of deep disorientation first. Of just like theoretical bat on the head and just seeing stars and like, what just happened? And, and, and then later, Jesus will say, look, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not just dealing with you as a plain dealer because you're not going to hear me. So this is, this is kind of how we have to start. So that's, that's the first thing Jesus does. And I hope, I, I pray for moments of disorientation for all of you. I know that sounds mean. I know it sounds unkind for a pastor. But look, don't waste those moments. Don't waste those times when you don't know what's going on. Don't let them go away because those times of confusion and, and bewilderment are gifts to allow you to see new things. All right, so that's, that's first. Jesus won't debate Nicodemus. Wasn't a problem of information. It was a problem of birth. Jesus says, you don't need more info. You have all you need. What you need is a new birth. You need to get born. Nicodemus is flustered, flummoxed. He's sort of like a child learning how to talk. There's a sense almost in which this conversation is is getting Nicodemus born again. And Jesus' explanation of the birth only confuses him more, but it's, it's all pretty reasonable that everything he's saying, you know, he, he's saying, look, you don't understand what I'm saying. Well, well, what's wind? You don't understand wind, but you, you know it exists. Especially if you live in Wyoming, you know wind is a thing, but you don't see it. So Jesus isn't like just talking nonsense here. Jesus is reasoning with him. And he's not saying to Nicodemus, look, you've got to have blind trust. That's not the goal here. Nicodemus is the one who is in the dark. Nicodemus is the one who's coming at night. Nicodemus is the one who can't see despite all of his intelligence. He's a teacher of the teachers. He's a smart dude. Jesus is just saying, you'll never see what's really going on without a new birth. No matter how many testimonies are presented, no matter how many books you read, no matter how many facts are presented, no matter how many times somebody explains it clearly, you're not going to get it, Nicodemus, until you're born again. In order to see, you will have to believe, because believing is seeing. And then Jesus makes it really plain. This is actually the plainest, most succinct, simplest statement in the Gospel of John of what Jesus is all about. 
And we all know it. John 3.16. We know it because... Why do we know it, Lee? Because we watch football games and the guy in the rainbow afro is holding up the sign. So it's John 3.16. We all know it. Jesus says, I've come to save. I've not come to give better information. I've come to save. And the way I save is to heal wounds that keep you from seeing. I've come because God loved you and doesn't want you to live in darkness, but to live in the light. And Jesus is the light, and by him you can see everything. We have more than enough info. Greater info will not bring us into the light. It will only get us lost because we are already in the dark. Instead, we are invited to see that our wounds are healed by the one who bore wounds for us. One who became a snake on a tree whose stripes are capable of healing. It's not easy to see a snake that's on a tree and believe that you will be saved. Back then, crucifixion was, was sort of like a swear word. If you said it in a public place, there would be like gasping and clutching of pearls. No one talked about crucifixion. They did it all the time, and you know, you can read lots of historical accounts where they'd say, so-and-so crucified this many people, and then they crucified these people, and they did it here, but they never described it. It was too shameful, too disgusting to talk about. Only the Gospels, and it's the only historical document we have that really offers any real description. No one could see it. it no one could see it. And yet, only about a hundred years later, not very long afterwards, there's an account of a family. This family got thrown into the arena. The arena was the place of entertainment where they put human beings into this place to be attacked and killed. That's what passed for entertainment back then. This is a world where cruelty was a virtue. You know, this is a world where, um, you know, everybody thought Sparta was amazing for their courage and their bravery, sure. But they were also, uh, they excelled at enslaving people. They captured a village and instead of killing everyone in that village, they enslaved them and they bred them to be slaves. And if anyone in that village ever seemed a little bit uppity, they'd just kill them on the spot. And that, and that was considered a virtue, that cruelty was considered a virtue back then. And yet we have this account of this family this family gets thrown into the arena, and we learn that there is one person in this family, a female, and also a slave, but we know her name. They said her name. Her name was Blandina. And Blandina is named because it said that she died like Christ when she was in the arena. She is literally the last person in that society to deserve to have her name written down and spoken 2,000 years later. Female, servant, she was not seen. She was not supposed to be seen. And yet here we are seeing her in our mind's eye. Why? Someone wrote her name down. Why did they write her name down? Because they saw clearly what others could not, and what we all so often take for granted. 
that because Jesus died for the whole world, everyone in the whole world is infinitely precious. Blandina, Nicodemus, you, me. This is a whole new thing to be seen that was not seen before. That is not a worldview. That's just seeing. It comes from believing. Seeing the wounded man on the cross, bringing healing, healing our eyes, healing our hearts. By seeing and hearing the Christ in others, we see them for who they are, beloved children of God. So if we want to see, if we're tired of all the investigation and we just want to see clearly, we want to see clearly who is with us in our lives, see each other clearly, if we want to see Christ clearly, if we want to see the world clearly and what it's created for and why it's here and our place within it, if we want to have clarity about all of this, then we've got to get born. You've been born before, fine. Get born again. And again. And again. And again and again and again. And keep getting born again. That's okay, you don't have to do it just once. I don't remember the first time I was born again. Or, or the, I don't remember the first two. I don't remember when I was born. I don't remember when I was born again. No idea. My mom says there was an evangelist on the TV and I raised my hand and boom, born again. <laughs> But the Bible doesn't say anything about stopping there. We all got to keep getting born again so that we can see clearly. We can have these wounds healed and have them stop um, keeping us in the dark so that we can come into the light. In a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to the bread and the cup. And my prayer is that you're going to come to receive the eyes to see clearly to be healed by the seed and the vine, to see them crushed for your salvation, and with wounds healed to know all people as they are known to God, because believing is seeing. Amen. Father, we thank you that through your Son and the power of the Spirit, you give us the ability to see your salvation and through your salvation to see all things as they truly are. To see the infinite love you have for all things and to share in that love. May we do so all the moments of our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you, and may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.